Friends, my name is Michael. I am the lead minister here at New Life, and it is cold this morning. So I just want to say thank you so much for rocking up, coming to church, and choosing to be here at the 8 a.m. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look warm this morning. Then if someone said that to you, turn back to them and say, don't lie in church. I'm very excited to be here. We're in week 10 of our Ephesians series, which means we have two weeks left. And I think we've got the two best weeks in store, friends. Next week, we have a good friend of mine named Dan Patterson coming to share with us on the last part of Ephesians chapter 5. What does it mean to submit to each other in marriage, in our family, in our workplaces as well? It's going to be a beautiful day. Dan runs an organization called Questioning Christianity. Not because he is questioning Christianity, but he wants to encourage those who have questions about faith, about God, about Jesus, to engage with people who think that there are good answers out there. Dan's just released a new book, which he'll speak about next week. And at nighttime at our 6 p.m. service, Dan's going to host a bit of a Q&A and a bit of a special around wrestling with some of the deep questions. If you're wondering, when is a good time to bring someone to church for the first time? Next week would be great, both in our morning and our night service. And the week after that, we have a good friend from Adelaide named Pastor Katie Isles. She's come many times. Um, She's fun. She's a little crazy, and she loves Jesus. And uh, she's a phenomenal communicator of the Word of God. She's going to finish talking about what does it mean to be clothed in the armor of God, engaged in spiritual warfare. The next two weeks are going to be a lot of fun. And they're a great opportunity for you to welcome someone into what God is doing amongst the life of our church. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you can be prayerfully thinking about who, you, who might you be able to invite to engage in what God is doing here. On that note, friends, I'd love you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 or turn on your screens and uh, press the buttons need to be pressed to get to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be reading today from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. I'm going to read to you so you can understand the context, and then we shall unpack it together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Oh, you remembered. That was beautiful. If you're wondering what that mutter was, someone down the front, I think it was Brad, said, thanks be to God. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, this morning, I pray as we open your scripture, would you speak to us? Lord, help us understand what it means to not live as darkness anymore, but as the light. To not walk in the way we used to, but to walk in the way that you have called us to in line with your mission. Lord, on this this July, on June 19th morning, we need to hear from you. May we sense your spirit. May we hear your voice. 
And may we not leave here unchanged. Less of me and more of you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a problem, just as a human being, of falling asleep at the most inopportune moments. I, uh, I just sometimes, get, when I get tired, it's like it's a really soon moment till I fall asleep. For this reason, I'm not actually allowed to drive home from many places. Sarah always drives home because I start to get really weary behind the wheel. And uh, obviously, for protection reasons, that's not wise to be driving whilst tired. I've fallen asleep on the front row as a pastor in the middle of a sermon before, just starting to nod, only to be nudged in the ribs by my wife. Hands up if you've fallen asleep in one of my sermons. That was a, that was a joke. I can't believe, Martin Panther, we just used your prayer down the front. Oh, wow, that hurt. I remember one of the moments when I... Uh, I'm just coming back from that. Um, one of the moments when I fell asleep at the most inopportune moment was five years ago when my wife and I had the good opportunity to go to London. We'd been saving for a couple of years. We'd planned a trip, and I wanted to go and see my favorite musical of all time, which was Les Miserables. It's beautiful. Now, if you don't know what this musical is, it's probably because you don't work at New Life. Because at New Life, if you wander the hallways, you'll hear me on any given day singing, Do you hear the people sing? Singing the songs of... Oh, thank you for joining in. There's, it's like this amazing musical of grace, of hope, of truth. And I love the story of Jean Valjean. Anyway, my wife and I had saved up for tickets. We got the best seats that we could afford. We could see everything and everybody could see us. And it was a great moment. However... I'd had some of the hardest six months of my life just in the, in the lead up to going to see the musical at the West End in the middle of London. And I remember as I sat in those seats and the orchestra began to play, I was like, oh no, that feeling came. You know when it comes, tiredness hits in the back of your eyes first. Nowhere else. My eyes don't do that much during the day, but that's where I feel it. And I'm like, oh no, it's starting to happen. Then they get about 15 minutes in and I'm yawning about every 30 seconds and I'm close to the front. So I know Jean Valjean can hear me, can see me as he's singing, just yawning. I'm like, it's so discouraging. Yes, friends, I also see many of you yawn whilst I'm preaching as well. And, and I'm like, oh, I, I hope I can stay awake. And then of course comes the nod. Some of you know the nod. Now, some people, when they fall asleep, they, they just do it gently like this. I always look like I'm being attacked when I'm being asleep, so ah, like this. And so I'm in the middle of Les Mis in West End, like, ah, like jolting. You can imagine the whole musical is looking at this guy in the middle of this crowd, just like jolting every 30 seconds. My wife is nudging me. She's like, honey, wake up. Do not fall asleep during Les Mis. Finally, it gets to one day more. And by this day, by this point in the musical, I am well and truly asleep. I've just given in. I'm just done. My wife gets to the end and she looks at me as, you know, she's pulling me home to where we're staying in London. She goes, I can't believe you fell asleep in Les Mis. And I'm like, yes, I know. Now, some of you hate musicals and you're like, I would have fallen asleep before I even got there. Others of you joined with my wife in the travesty. When I came home, I would tell people these stories and they, and they would say this, you slept through that? What? I raise this story because I wonder if one day... Many of us will stand before the kingdom, before the throne of God. And we will see all that God was up to whilst we were alive. And we'll, we'll maybe turn to each other or have someone turn to us and say, you slept through that? That some of us, friends, 
have fallen asleep spiritually to what God is up to, to the grand, amazing picture of how He is working in our world. And if we could just see, we would be intoxicated. We would be inspired. We would be motivated by what God is doing. But how many of us in our world, especially in the West, have fallen asleep? What does it mean to fall asleep? Well, not practically, and please stay awake during this next couple of moments. But it's that moment when we've grown apathetic towards Scripture. It no longer grips us. It no longer has a place where we feel convicted or motivated or see the life pouring from it, where we've grown apathetic towards gathering together as the body. Where it doesn't really, oh man, I guess I've got nothing else on, we'll go to church. And we've grown apathetic to what God longs to do every single day. We're drifting through our world. And I just wonder if we knew, if we knew what God was up to, if we would be challenged to say, you're asleep through that. Paul writes to the Ephesians church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, he calls the church and says, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And I wonder if the same would be said to us today. Because friends, we are not called to sleep our way into eternity. We are called to live awake in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, ready and prepared and willing to take part for what God is up to and what he is doing. Maybe your first time in church today. Maybe you haven't been to church for a while. I'm going to let you know here at New Life, we are passionate about a man named Jesus. But we're not just passionate about rocking up and sitting in a seat and listening to some guy tell us stories about how he used to fall asleep during musicals. We're passionate about that this man named Jesus rescues us from our sin, but has also purposed us to be a part of his mission in the world around us. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, Awake, O church, do not fall asleep. And he says three things it is important for us to be awake to as the church. We must be awake to sin. We must be awake to... No, it's not there. We must be awake to sin. We must be awake to our purpose. And friends, finally, we must be awake to worship. Now, what do these things mean? Well, before Paul gets there, he reminds us of our identity. In Ephesians chapter 5, it'll be back two slides, I think there, Ryan. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he writes this. He says, For you were once darkness but now a light in the Lord. It's interesting here how Paul's talking to everyone and not saying you once lived in darkness. No, he calls us that once where before you knew Jesus, you weren't just in darkness, you were darkness. This is interesting because he now just doesn't say you now live in the light of God's gospel and God's grace. He says, now you are the light which means what is God's answer to the world that is growing darker and darker and increasingly broken? The world is only dark when Christians are choosing not to live out their faith. We are called, friends, to be the light. And what does he say? Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do you remember the first time you discovered the power of the light? Do you remember the first time you discovered how light is useful? I think I've, I've told many of you this story before, but I remember the first time I remember finding why light is useful. I was about five years old, and my job was to take the trash out. 
My job was to carry the garbage out to the garbage bins. Now, if your garbage bin was anything like mine, then my parents, for some way to torture me, had put our garbage bin 10 meters away from where the light stopped late at night. And they sent their five-year-old son to carry the garbage out to the bins. And I was petrified of darkness. I remember I used to say, Dad, Dad, can I just, I don't want to take the garbage out. It's so dark out there. My dad's like, Michael, it's going to be fine. I remember saying, Dad, there could be monsters out there. He's like, you'll be fine, Michael. I will go out to the bin. It's now time for you to learn how to go out to the bin. And I was convinced that just beyond the rim of the light, something was waiting to get me. So I had to prove to my dad that I could do it. So I gathered up all my courage, grabbed my garbage bags, and I ventured out into the night. Now, the light stopped, and I remember standing at the edge of the light thinking to myself, I think I see something moving around the garbage bin. I think there's something that's going to attack me. He said, Dad, there's something on the garbage bin. So, Michael, stop being stupid. It's just your imagination. Just drop the garbage off. So I ventured out into the darkness, and I'm like, no, there is definitely something on the garbage bin. Dad, I think there's something here in the darkness. I can't see what's going on. And, and I just remember Dad being like, Michael, it'll be fine. Just take the garbage out. I get all the way to the garbage bin and I reach out thinking that what I'm seeing is my imagination. I'm like, Dad, can you just bring a torch out of here just real quick? So Dad, out of frustration to prove me wrong, brings a torch out, shines it onto the bin when standing right in front of me on top of the bin, coiled up on top of the bin, is the biggest child-eating strangler snake I've ever seen in my life and I'm almost about to touch it and I'm like you could have killed me now it was a carpet snake which if you know anything about snakes it's it's fine Uh, but there was this sense that in the darkness dark things hide that hurt us that damage us and friends why do I say this because the light has the power to illuminate what lies in darkness but it's also an intrinsic part of what it means to be a Christian What does light ultimately do? Light reveals what the darkness tries to hide. Light points the way forward. Light guides the way home. And when Paul says to the Christian church, you are the light, you are the light, he's calling us to be a people who show the world the way forward, who show the world how to find their way home who by the power of how we live and in the power of Jesus Christ, live in such a way that we illuminate that which might not be the will of God that might hurt, might harm, or might uh, might injure some of us. But Paul challenges the Ephesian church because clearly he says, you are children of the light, so walk in the light. Why does he say this? Because clearly you can be a child of the light and not walking in the light. You can be turning your light down and dimming it and not believing that your shining, your ability to testify to the truth and reality of Christ matters. When I was a little bit older than five, I worked at a place called Hungry Jack's when I was about 18. And when I worked at Hungry Jack's, um, I remember telling people that I was a Christian and they would mock me. They would, they would ridicule me and they would ask me these questions. And I learned fast that if I was going to survive in the world outside of church, then I had to dim my light. And so I found that if I was going to enjoy my time at Hungry Jack's, what I needed to do is I needed to learn to laugh at really crass jokes. If I was going to enjoy my time at Hungry Jack's, I needed to learn how to objectify women that came in to Hungry Jack's just like everybody else did. If I was going to survive or or enjoy my time working at Hungry Jack's, then when, when people were bullying or they were mean or they were ridiculing one another, I would just jump in. And I remember about eight years later when I was young adults pastor in this church, And a guy named Bill walked through the doors. And I remember Bill. 
And I remember going, we used to flip burgers together at Hungry Jack's. I'm like, Bill, it's so good to see you. He's like, man, it's so great to see you. I'm like, what are you doing in church? He's like, I'm a Christian now. And I'm like, you're a Christian? Dude, you used to swear with the best of them. This is amazing. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, like you knew I was a Christian. He's like, yeah, but I just, I mean, I never thought you were that serious about it. And I remember it just hitting me. I said, yeah, I didn't do that well being a Christian back then. He said, yeah, I mean, he said, I don't want to be rude. Literally, the conversation we had, but I definitely didn't choose to follow Jesus because of you. And I, and I realized that in a moment, I had avoided ridicule, but I'd also stepped out and away from being a part of someone else's story of coming to know Jesus. And friends, this is so often what we do when we're children of the light, but we're not walking in the light. When we dim ourselves down, we fall asleep to the reality that God is up to something. So what does it mean to be a child of the light? What does it mean for us to walk in the light? Well, the three things I mentioned earlier, we must live awake to sin. Paul continues on and he says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Why are we called to live awake to sin? Well, after my dad uh, almost killed me by subjecting me to being strangled to death by a carpet snake, I grew up and I built a really good relationship with him, probably more of his prerogative than mine. And I remember as an eight-year-old, I went through a moment where I struggled with my conscience. I had a hyper-conscience where I started to, as a young eight-year-old, I don't know if it was OCD or something was going on for me, where I began to relive everything that I'd ever done wrong since I could remember it. I started to re relive that moment where I, my mom and dad said, did you throw a stone at your sister? And I'm like, no, I didn't throw a stone at my sister and I was four. And I started to be like, oh no, I lied to my mom and dad four years ago. What if they ever find out about it? I remember that time that I was told not to watch TV and then when they left the room, I turned the TV back on. Now these seem like little things, but when I was an eight-year-old, I grew so thick with shame. I was like, if my dad knew, if my dad finds out how much I've disobeyed him, he will not love me anymore. And I remember distinctly being an eight-year-old, tossing and turning at night, reliving the countless of things that I'd done wrong as a child, thinking my parents would hate me if they ever find out. But it got so bad one moment that I'm like, you know what? I can't live like this anymore. I've just got to go tell my dad everything I have ever done wrong since I've ever been born. Right? And I sat that down and said, Dad, you got to sit down. I've got a lot to tell you about. My dad sat there and I'm like, you know that time you asked me if I threw a stone at Danica? I did it. And he's like, I don't even remember that. I'm like, no, trust me. I'm a terrible human being, dad. And then there was this moment when I remember dad saying, that's okay, Michael. Hey, I forgive you. And Christ forgives you. And suddenly what happened to this crushing weight of, you know, eight-year-old sin, it started to lift. It started to dissipate. It started to become lighter. I'm like, well, dad, there was this time you said, don't eat a lolly. And then I, I ate the lolly. And dad's like, that's okay, Michael. Let's not do that again. I forgive you. I'm like, oh. And I was marveled at for like months as an eight-year-old boy. I'd lived under subjection of shame and of guilt. But what happened is as I brought these things to the light and confessed them, not only was I fully realized as to who I actually was, but I started to walk a little bit lighter. 
This is what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about the power of us keeping things in the darkness. Because you know what? We grow up and we don't just carry the shame of throwing a stone at someone or stealing a lolly. Our lives become thick with so many other snakes hiding in the darkness. And we just hope they remain hidden. But as they do, friends, for so many of us, the shame grows. The fear increases. And for some of us today, Paul highlights that maybe we have something to do with deeds done in darkness and they're strangling the life from us. To this, Paul says, expose it. Because the safest place for that which lies in the darkness, the way you rob it of its power, is not to keep it hidden, but to bring it into the light. Now, we're afraid of this. We're afraid of walking in the light. We want to walk partly in the light, but not fully in the light, because then we will be really seen. Then we will be fully known. Then people will know how good we really aren't. But friends, when we keep parts of our lives in darkness, when there is pride that we don't confront, lust that we just allow to bubble away, greed, selfishness, gossiping, what ends up happening is that we compartmentalize our lives and we don't live a fully reconciled self. And we wonder why it's hard to engage. It's because we don't bring our whole self before God. We don't say, God, you know it all. You know what I did yesterday. You know what I've thought about. You know where I've been. You know what I've done. We hide it because we think it's much better for us to manage our darkness than expose it. And Paul argues against this. He says, no, 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 no. No, you want to know how to rob guilt of its power? You want to know how to rob shame of its power? You expose this stuff to the light because darkness is where snakes hide. And so he says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. It no longer remains darkness. It no longer remains something which steals us, our joy and our light. It actually becomes something that, friends, we can actually celebrate God has delivered us from. The gospel says when you bring what is really going on before God, when you bring the fullness of yourself before God, he already knows, but now he fully sees you. Now he only he now has the opportunity to fully forgive you and more than that, fully accept you. How many of us are hoping that the light doesn't shine too brightly on our hearts? And we're living in a moment where we're giving darkness too much power. In 1 John 1 verse 7, the Apostle John says this, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, what does it do when we bring our darkness into the light? It purifies us from all sin. The promise of Christ is this, that when you bring shame, he doesn't double down on your shame. He doesn't go, wow, you really suck. This is terrible. This is horrible. What he does is go, now you've confessed it. Now you've repented of it. Let me deal with it once and for all. There are too many Christians in the world who are walking around with private and secret shame, hoping no one finds out. And God is waiting for you to know, to wake up to the reality of sin, that you might be able to wake up to the full reality of his grace and his goodness. 
what I loved about my life is that what my father taught me as a young man, I've now carried on to my adulthood. As a pastor, I'm surrounded in a world where pastors fall all the time, where the darkness that they hide catches up to them. And so what, what I've been blessed with is that there are men in my world who ring me and say, hey, mate, how are you going? And I can say, hey, I just need to walk through some of the stuff I've been, I've been processing lately and confess some things. But the other beautiful thing for me is that my wife is, my, life, my God has gifted me with a wife who can sit with me and I say, hey, sweetheart, I just want to walk through some of the sins that, are, that have been troubling me lately. Can, can we bring this to the light that we might rob it of its power? And in that moment, we cry together, we celebrate together, we rejoice in the grace of God together. It's not easy, it's not good, but here's what we're doing. When I keep it to myself, it remains a powerful over me. But when we bring it to the light, we say no more, no more. The only thing that will have power over me will be the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. What is lurking in the darkness of your heart? And how is God calling you to bring it into the light? Why does Paul talk about sin so much? Because he knows that you weren't created for sin. You were created for a purpose. See, the, thing, the second thing Paul says is don't just be awake to sin. Be awake to your purpose. One of my great, greatest favorite movies is The Avengers. I don't know if anyone's seen The Avengers. At 6 p.m., we'll have like at least 80%. If you haven't seen The, the Avengers, you should go watch. It's probably the greatest comic book movie of all time. And there's this villain in the Avengers, who when he walks up to the scene, his name is Loki, he stands before everyone. And when he's announcing his arrival, he says, I am Loki of Asgard. That won't make a lot of sense to anyone that's not a nerd in the room. But the next moment, he turns around, he says, I have been burdened with a glorious purpose. And I'm like, that's a pretty cool line. A man to rock up and his announcement is this, I have been burdened with a glorious purpose. The rest of the movie is Loki carrying out his singular focus on his glorious purpose. Now, given it's a, he's a villain, he wants to destroy the whole earth, but that line in itself shouldn't be a line for villains. It should be a line for those who follow Jesus. I have been burdened. I have been given a glorious purpose to be part of the mission of God. Paul says this, he says, after, we'll go back one slide. After he says, hey, awake, O sleeper, he goes, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. The words there, make the most of every opportunity, is the Greek word, exe, I actually can't say this very well, exegarazo. That's as good as the Greek is going to get this morning. And that word means simply this, redeem the time. Redeem the time you have been given. Paul says, don't just be awake to sin, be awake to the glorious purpose that God has given to every single one of you. What does it mean to redeem the time? In World War II, there was a ship called the Queen Mary. And the Queen Mary used to sail between New York and England, carrying passengers. It was a cruise liner. And in the middle of World War II, they were struggling to transport soldiers from New York to Europe. And they needed more ships. And at that moment, the Queen Mary's owners had a decision to make. How would they utilize this resource in the time they were given? And so they turned the ship from being just a cruise liner to being a troop carrier. And in July of 1943, it carried just under 16,000 soldiers to the front line of the war. 
He would do it over and over and over and over again. Why did this happen? Because the owners of the Queen Mary knew this. There was a great evil in the world. It doesn't matter how much they wanted to live in a comfortable reality. They could not change the reality. There was a darkness spreading across Europe and they had the potential to do something about it. Can you imagine if the captain had gone, I'm just not that into helping out with this stuff. I prefer to drink margaritas and play, you know, shuffle deck on, on the whatever, the shuffleboard on the deck of, of the cruise ship. People would be like, dude, do you not know what is going on? There's a bigger thing at work here. This is what it means to redeem the time. It means that we've all been given a small portion of time on this earth. And there will come a moment where we will look back over our life and we will see that, friends, not only is there a great good in the world known as the gospel and the grace of God, there is also a great evil in the world that says people are no better than their worst mistake, that they should live in shame, that they should do nothing more than accumulate money and be defined by their image, the success of their family or their bank account or their job. And there is a purpose given to every Christian that we would redeem the time given to us to be a part of a greater mission than our own advancement of our own kingdom. But John Piper comments like this, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. Before you know it, before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about perishing, people perishing, missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace and I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again towards a wartime mindset. Friends, what is your purpose? What is your calling? Too many Christians spend their life going, what does God want me to do? And really what they're saying is, I haven't yet read the Bible. Because so clear in the Bible is the great commission, is the words of Jesus Christ, is the call of God in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. What are you meant to do for your job? I don't know. But until that time, declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Oh, but Michael, I'm waiting until I get the right job. I missed out on an opportunity in Hungry Jacks. Who gets used in Hungry Jacks? But because I didn't redeem the time, there was an opportunity I missed out on seeing God's love transform the life of the people that I was working with because I thought my calling was something in the future rather than something that was given to me now. Friends, every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us has a calling. Every one of us is commissioned to join with God in believing that He is patient and kind. As it says in 1 Peter 3 verse 9, He desires that no one would perish that all would come repent and he calls you and I to be a part of that story. The greatest thing we can do with our life is not retire with enough money. The greatest thing we can do with our life is not achieve another degree. The greatest thing we can do with our life is make sure that when we stand before the throne room of heaven, we gave everything to make sure that everyone around us were the people we love and the people that God placed us around and in amongst throughout our life. Be wise. Redeem the time given to you, for we are burdened with a glorious purpose, writes 
Paul. What and where has God placed you? What are the people around you thinking of the faith that you live? Because God has not only called you to be awake to sin, not just awake to your purpose, but he finishes saying this, be awake in your worship. And there's a beautiful way that Paul finishes where he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, with hymns and songs from the Holy Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's last challenge to the Ephesian church and to our church today is to be awake in our worship. What does that mean? Well, friends, worship is when we ascribe ultimate value to something. Worship is when we ascribe ultimate value to something and we mold our life in pursuit of that thing. We become like what we worship. Now, some of you, I was in a conversation recently where someone said to me, you know, worship is you know, what Christians really do and other people don't really do that. And the truth is, is that, friends, everybody worships. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. Timothy Keller says this, that we all worship idols. And an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. This is something which has the place of God in your heart. And the problem with these things is that they're usually not bad things. They're things like family, like money, like jobs, like careers. They're not bad things. They're just not ultimate things. And what happens when they fail us, we don't usually blame money, we blame God. When, when things go wrong with the thing we're pursuing, we don't blame the thing we're pursuing for not being able to fulfill us, we blame God. And what Paul is saying here is actually a marker of a Christian community is that whenever they gather, they remind each other what they should worship. They remind each other of who they should worship. They remind each other of why they should worship. This is why Paul says, hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess, guess how you can tell a community's got the Holy Spirit amongst it? They're going to get together and, and they're going to speak to one another with psalms. They're going to sing hymns over each other. They're going to sing spiritual songs. Why is this such an important moment? Because when we sing in unity for something we all love, there is something which shifts in our hearts. It's like when you sing happy birthday to someone, which is seriously one of the worst songs ever created by mankind. I hate the happy birthday song. And if you want to celebrate my birthday, please sing to me anything about the happy birthday song. But why do we sing it? It's because there's a communal moment where we're like, we're all rejoicing about this person right now. And we all look at each other and we love humiliating them as they stand there awkwardly for 30 seconds doing nothing. And it's really painful for them and joyful for us. Why do we do it? There's a unity behind our attention. There's a unity behind our focus. And that's so often why the church gathers together and we sing. It's because this week, there are some of you who have darkness in your hearts. This week, there are some of you who have forgotten your purpose. This week, there are some of us who have dozed off. In this sermon, there are some of you that have dozed off. Just nudge that person next to you. And when we gather together and we sing, what happens is we don't listen to one person. We listen to a people call our attention the only one who is worthwhile worshiping. We actually pause for a moment and we go, hey, I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to sing. Hey, I don't feel like it today, but that person needs me to sing. 
hey, I don't feel like it today, but there are non-Christians in the room right now who are weirded out while we're doing crowd karaoke about a guy we can't see. And they're wondering, is this real? And when we're standing there, we're being passionate. They're like, it's either real or they're crazy. I hope it's real. This is why Paul says, gather together and sing. This is why, friends, he says in Hebrews, do not forsake the weekly gathering of the saints. This is a moment for our hearts to realign, for our hearts to remember who we worship and why we worship. We don't sing because we feel like it. We don't sing because everything's going well. In the book of Matthew, it tells us that as Jesus was going to the Mount of Olives, He gathered together with His disciples and He sang hymns. Why do you think Jesus sang hymns on the way to His betrayal? Do you think He was happy, clappy in that moment going, isn't this going to be a lot of fun? Because He was reminding His heart, reminding their hearts, no matter what they were about to face, here's some truth we can celebrate right now. Jeremy Riddle says this great line. He says, sometimes the best moment to sing a victory song is in the middle of your battle because it confuses the darkness. In the middle of a battle, when we start declaring who's already won the war. And the best place we see this is in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas get imprisoned after freeing a young girl from slavery. They get, they get imprisoned and, and they get persecuted. They get beaten. They get enchained. And they're laying in prison late at night. Their freedom taken from them. And what would you do if you were imprisoned right now unjustly? Ring your lawyer, complain, post about it if you had access to the internet. What do Paul and Silas do? Paul's like, Silas. Silas is there. He's like, yeah, what's up? Do you remember that song we sang on Sunday? We should sing it now. And you think about who they're surrounded by, Roman guards, oppressed criminals. And suddenly from the jail cell, you hear this, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And they're like, who the heck is singing? And his other boys are like, oh, I love that one. Oh, praise his name forevermore. And their chains start to rub on their hands as they are reminded of their suffering. So they sing even louder, friends. And the Bible tells us, not that they sang that song, that song's fairly recent. That wasn't written thousands of years ago. But what they're reminded of is, is, is the, the, the jail cells rattle and they break. And, and we can think, oh, this is a moment for Paul and Silas to escape, but they don't escape. Instead of escaping, they stay in the prison and they go, hey, we want to tell the guards about Jesus. We want to tell our oppressors about the one who gives us a reason to sing after we've been beaten by you. Let me tell you about my purpose. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that forgives you. There's a God that's for you. There's a God that we sing, oh, praise the name. Every Sunday, we sing it throughout the week. This is why Paul says, speak psalms over each other, sing hymns over each other, sing spiritual songs over each other. You know when Beck hops up the front and she just starts to sing words you don't understand? She's like, whoa. And you're like, wow, I wish I could sing like Beck. What she's doing is encouraging us to sing a song that isn't scripted. Sing a song that, that comes from our heart. Sing a song that calls our attention to Christ. Friends, if you're a non-Christian in the room, welcome to the family. But if you're a Christian in the room, there's a reason why we gather. There's a reason why we sing. There's a reason why we do this. Because there's someone in this room right now who is burdened with idolatry. There's someone in this room right now who's hiding from the snakes on top of their wheelie bins. There's someone in this room right now who's forgotten their purpose and they're worried about their retirement. And when we stand and we sing, we remind our hearts of who God is. That we have a great why behind what we do. So friends, why don't we do it now? Would you stand with us? What we're going to do is we're going to sing. 
a song that I sang when I was young and my parents were young. Still young, mum. And it's a song called As the Deer Panted For. As the deer panted for the water. So my soul longs after you. Now, for those of you who, are, who love it, there's going to be this beautiful chorus added in called Abba. Say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. And for those of you who don't know what the word Abba means, it's when Jesus Christ gives us permission to not just call God Yahweh, not just call Him Jehovah Jireh or our provider, our healer. Jesus Christ gives us permission to say to God, the creator of all things, you get to call Him Dad. You get to run to Him and into His arms today. And here's the goodness of the gospel, friends, is that if you are burdened by shame, if you're weighed down by guilt, then you are filled with a room of people who know the power of shame. We just know the power of the cross. That's the only difference here. And so we're singing to a God that longs to forgive, that longs to love and longs to accept you. May we stop hiding. Let's step into the light and let's walk as the children of light. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace and your love. I pray as we worship now, may we sing truths over each other. May our hearts rise as our volume does as well. Lord, we do not need drums or electric to worship you this morning. We need a heart that adores you. May those of us who are struggling be carried forth by the praises of those who stand this morning, that we would worship a Savior who is beautiful and wonderful and worthy to be praised. Let's sing together.